feel like I got a word from the Lord for you today. And uh, I just want to help some folks and uh, just express God's heart for you and, and to you. And uh, I want to challenge you as well. I want to challenge you to, uh, to meet your full potential uh, in God. What, what a tragedy. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, uh, in Roman times they would behead people and then they would strangle them up where all their blood would pour out. They would call it a pouring out. But when the Apostle Paul writes Timothy in 2 Timothy, he said, I've already been poured out. I think the greatest shame in life would be to die without having been poured out for God. And I want you to be poured out, people. Oswald Chambers said it this way. He, he called it broken bread and poured out wine. That Jesus is a picture of the communion. That he was taken and God blessed him. And he was broken, passed out, and then poured out for us. And this is the same succession that God takes us on as people. As he takes us and he blesses us. But then he breaks us so that we can be beneficial to be passed out and poured out for the lives of others. And so Jesus has taken us on a journey, and that's exciting, but it's also nerve-wracking too, right? Uh, but for those who are just willing, not who's the brightest, the, the, the best, the bravest, but those who just step out and be willing, God's going to do great and mighty exploits through you and through your life. But there's a certain level of maturity that we have to rise up to, right? There's a certain level that, that we have to rise up to so that God can trust us with his precious gift. My, my daughter had gotten, from some place, had gotten these, uh, it's really just polished glass stones, and they're called dragon tears. They're just different colors, and so... And there's a little story in there that said, this dragon flew over the such and such town and, and wept. And as it wept, it made these precious stones. And, and, right? and so, yeah, it's kind of, kind of silly sounding. But we gave her though that, it's like a little bag with a drawstring on it with, with these little glass stones in it. And I don't think one stone is left in that bag. I think they're all over the house. I don't even know. Last I saw, there was like one here and one there. And granted, those aren't precious stones or anything like that. But, but the same would be true as if I gave my daughter a handful of diamonds at four years old. She doesn't know the difference that they're precious. See, until we get to the place where we understand the value of what we've been given, we'll never apprehend the gifts that God wants to put onto us. And he won't give them to us because they would end up being our destruction. See, this was the difference between Saul and David. Saul gets anointed king and he says, Lord, don't take away my kingdom. David gets anointed king and he says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. So, see, there's two different realities going on there. 
And God is wanting to entrust us with his treasures, with his gifts, with his giftings, with people, with all kinds of things. He's wanting to do that. But until we come up to a place of maturity, uh, he's going to withhold those things as a grace uh, until we prove ourselves faithful and prove ourselves humble enough to receive his giftings and receive what he wants to do, uh, do in our lives. And so uh, this is kind of where we're at. And you know, and I love church, and churches should be a hospital for the sick, right? It shouldn't be for just all of us that's got it all together. That's not what it's about. But at the same time, we can't all be sick in here, then nobody's going to help anybody, right? Somebody's got to be coming on up to lead those who need to come on up. And it can't just be me, because how in the world can I disciple this many people? So people's got to rise up within the congregation that can disciple other people. And so while we're a place for the sick, we're not a place where we just stay sick and just in the mully grubs all the time and in bitterness and everything else. We've got to be coming on out of these things so that we might touch other people. And so I declare to you today, you need to come up on out of that depression. You need to come on out of that sin. You need to come on out of that fornication. You need to come on out of that. Whatever your issue is, you need to come on out of it because God's grace is sufficient for anybody that wants deliverance and we bought the lie that God's grace isn't enough we bought the lie that God's spirit isn't enough and I will I'll put it on my tombstone y'all heard it from me y'all make sure they put it on my tombstone that God's grace is enough I don't care how problematic your life looks or how it seems there comes a time where we just got to grow up there comes a time where we've got to come up to the stature of the man Christ Jesus and allow his grace and his goodness to grow us into what we ought to be. So as church is a hospital and it's safe, I want to tell you something else. Church is a dangerous place too. You don't think church is dangerous? Look at the book of Acts. Dangerous. Because as we're coming in here, and I'm not just trying to make some provocative statement to get your attention. As we come in here, two realities are happening every single week. As the word is going forth, somebody is humbling themselves a little more, receiving the word, and allowing it to manifest growth in their life. But there's another reality that happens every week. The heart that would not humble itself, the heart that would not change, the heart that would love its old life so much that it would reject the only payment for its sins, Jesus Christ, that heart, every time it hears the gospel message and refuses to receive it, gets a little bit harder. And a little bit harder. A little bit harder. Each time grace is offered and rejected, it appears less amazing than the time it was received previous. So there's hearts in here every single week that are getting softer and there's hearts in here every single week that's getting a little bit more callous and a little bit harder and a little bit harder and a little bit harder the churches in a sense if we're not ready to receive what God has to say is a dangerous place it's a dangerous place
And that's why when Jesus came to the earth, He could have appeared anywhere. He could have went to Papua New Guinea where there was cannibalism. He could have went to this place or that place. could have went to a remote tribe where there was human sacrifice. But Jesus chose to show up in the most religious place in human history, first century A.D., Jerusalem. Because if he doesn't tackle that demon, no other demon is going to fall. The most churched place in human history was the same place that rejected Jesus. Say, brother, we're in the buckle of the Bible belt. Yeah, that's dangerous. Because Jesus becomes like apple pie, mama, country music, and beer, and just becomes a subset of a culture and doesn't become the Lord of our life. And so we're asked, Are you saved? And say, No, I done did that. Well, you better be still doing that because it ain't something you done did. He's the Lord of your life every single day, and it's something that you've got to search yourself out and make sure that your heart is getting softer before God. It's like religion can be resting on a knowledge or an intention that is justified in its morality, but yet is separate from its dependence on Christ. That we could lean on something that looks moral, but yet it not be Jesus. And the fact that it's moral gives us clarity and fools us into a greater deception that we're actually in Christ. When we've not humbled ourselves to hear His voice and to seek His direction for our lives. And so you have to ask yourself, is Jesus a supplement or is He the cure? Is he Savior or is he Lord and Savior? See, this is why we can see this reality happen within the church. You see somebody that's been in church 40, 50 years and they're as mean as a rattlesnake. Pray in tongues and everything. Huh? Then you see somebody get saved off the street and in two weeks they're out doing the one that's been in it for 40 years. See, it's not about longevity. It's about who will humble themselves under the hand of the mighty king and receive his word and will take his word and will step out in faith and, and operate it and see it so precious that's all that they want in their life. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. It's a parable of the sower. Says this, and again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he had gotten into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. So Jesus gets out on the boat because this would have provided an acoustic setting to where the mass crowd that had come to hear him would have been able to, to hear him clearly, clearly. There's actually a cave in Capernaum that a rabbi would position himself in and start to teach, and his voice would travel so far that he was able to teach over 7,000 people. 
so, so Jesus is positioning himself so that the most amount of people could hear this teaching, that this would be a very important teaching that Jesus wanted to get across. It goes on to say in verse 2, and in his teaching he said to them, now also we can ascertain from the, the details and the clues in our text that they were just about to go into the Feast of Weeks or the barley harvest or what we would call Pentecost, the 50 days after Passover. And so they were just about to go into this harvest. So as Jesus begins to lay out this parable, it would have been fresh on their mind and fresh on their heart. And they would have understood the reality of this message in such a way that they would begin to visualize and get pictures of what Jesus was about to go into here. Uh, now, now most of the parables, or this was a common practice between rabbis where they would teach in these parables. They would take a story that was fictitious but yet had true principles in order to teach a lesson. Uh, but most of the parables of the rabbis of Jesus' day would talk about the courtroom of a king or the throne room of a king. But Jesus teaches a different kind of way. He brings it down to the common man and brings it down to the everyday person so that they might understand that they're in this thing too. And so Jesus humbles himself in the parable and he brings it accessible to where these Galilean farmers would have understood exactly what he was saying. Verse 3, listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. Now, it seems weird here that the seed would be falling in all these random places on rocks and in the pathway and in random places. But, it, but they didn't do like what we did. Me and my father had a, a garden, a family garden out in Arkadelphia, and it was two acres. And so we would disc up the field with the tractor. Then we would till and make our rows, and then we would sow seed. But in first century, here's what they did. They threw their seed out everywhere. And then they tilled the seed up to take the seed from the top of the ground to the bottom of the ground. They justified the seed falling on the path in other places because the yield of the seed that went into the right place would be so great that it would overtake the wasted seed that come out onto the outer sides and the places where the seed didn't need to be. And so I want to submit to you that some of you have gotten tired of sowing seed because you feel like every seed you sow to your family, to the lost, to everybody you're trying to bring along this journey with you, you're sowing seed, and it doesn't seem like it's taking root. It feels like you're sowing seed on the pathway. It feels like you're sowing seed on a bunch of rocks. But I want to tell you to keep sowing seed because eventually that seed's going to fall into good soil. And when that falls into good soil, the harvest is going to be so great from the good soil that it's going to overtake and make you forget about the seed that went in a place to where it could not grow. So we've got to keep on sowing seed. We've got unlimited
limited seed and we are sowers. And so we're going to go around and we're going to have our pockets full and we're just going to keep throwing seed everywhere we go because we don't know if it's going to fall in the path. The rocks are good soil because the human heart is hidden from the eyes of man. But we're going to keep sowing seed because eventually it's going to take. And eventually we're going to forget about the things from our past. It was just like Joseph when he comes into the kingdom of Egypt. It's the second man in control right under Pharaoh. And even Pharaoh assigned to trusted him so much he gave him his power as well. When he names his kid, he names his, his child Manasseh. And I believe, y'all check me on this, I believe it means because I forgot my toil. See, God wants to bring you into a place where you look back and see the preparation period as a period that prepared you to have the character and the integrity to be in the place of promise where God was leading you to. See, this is what God is wanting to do in your life. And so if you'll keep sowing seed and keep being faithful, God will make it grow. God will make it grow. Verse 8, we better keep going here. And the other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Now, when Jesus would have said this, these poor Galilean farmers and Judean farmers, the best crop that they ever predicted to have was 75 to 10-fold return. So Jesus says, when you're sowing my seed and working in my kingdom, that the smallest harvest you can expect is actually greater than the greatest harvest you've ever had over here doing it your way. Uh, so Jesus is trying to raise the perspective of these poor farmers to begin to understand something about the nature of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God doesn't operate in the natural realm the way it seems to do. Uh, in other ways, that when we begin to operate in the kingdom of God, supernatural increase begins to happen, not because of us, but because of the seed that we are carrying. A farmer goes to sleep after sowing the seed and looks out but he can't do anything to the seed he can't grab the seed and say would you just grow already he can just sleep and trust that what he's planted that it would come up at the appropriate time and begin to turn into something that the world would see to say wow that's supernatural I must give glory to God because only God could do something like that Well, five of you got it, praise God. I'm going to keep preaching until all of you get it, okay? I'm going to keep sowing that seed, yeah. <laughs> See, the yield is always worth what was wasted. You're telling me that when your child comes to Christ, you're going to say, I wish I hadn't sowed so much seed? See, the harvest always justified the seemingly wasted seed. It always does. Me and a friend of mine were visiting a, a guy in the hospital. Couldn't even move his legs. We go to leave and pray for him. I say, can I grab you by the feet? He said, yeah, they're nasty. I ain't, I ain't bathed in a week or so. 
I said, I ain't worried about that. I got him by the feet. God just spoke to my heart and said, he'll be walking in a week. I said, I'm not saying that. <laughs> what if he don't walk in a week, Lord? <laughs> I said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. God hit my heart. I said, you're going to be walking in a week. A week to the day he took steps. I'm just telling you, when God gives you a word, don't hesitate, don't fight with him. You give that word out. But guess what? When you give that word out, you can't manipulate it to do what you want it to do. And many times we give a word out, don't we? And then we try to think, oh, God told me this, so it's my job to make it happen. And all we end up doing is messing it up and making it not work. So just because God speaks something to you doesn't mean... Sometimes that you're not even supposed to speak it. Did you know that? Could you imagine that sometimes God would have you want to shut your mouth for a time? And then maybe pray about something? I mean, it's... God told me one time a lady went down to the altar. This is another church, and, and uh, she had praying about her daughter. She didn't know where her daughter was. Her daughter had run off and didn't know where it was where she was and so I'm sitting there in my seat and just kind of sitting there and the Lord hits my heart and says her daughter's going to come back in six months I jumped up and said woohoo I can't wait to give that word that's exciting as I go to take two steps towards the lady God said you sit back down right now okay God said you don't tell her that it's creating a prayer life and a, and a connection to me that I need to happen don't you ruin that process so I sat back down, and I called my mom six months later. Hey, did so-and-so come? She said, yeah, so-and-so came home. I said, okay, that's all I need to know. Thank you. Because uh, you want to test to make sure you're hearing from the Lord, right? And, and so I'm just saying that there's times that we're sowing seed, or God's given us, uh, you know, these, these things. And it's in those times where we, we need to be sensitive to the voice of God because it's only His Word that's going to penetrate. It's only His Word that's going to bring about a miraculous harvest see the yield is worth the seed sown that you thought was wasted it always is so you got to keep sowing seed I say well nothing's growing well you keep sowing seed and do the results only God can do that verse 9 and he said he who has ears to hear let him here, this was an Old Testament motif that Ezekiel and Isaiah used. And, and what they basically were telling the people is, yeah, you've got ears on your head, but, and you seem to hear everything else, but when God starts to speak, it's like you don't have any ears on your head. He said, I need ears that can hear. Ears that are attuned to the heart of God. And so Jesus is further establishing this principle. Now verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. So Jesus had taught this parable, but yet the disciples don't always get it, right? Sometimes it takes us a little while. Verse 11. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. Well, this seems uh, kind of odd that Jesus would conceal things from some by telling this story and then make it available to others and say that it would be a benefit to you that I hide this. Okay, this seems weird, right? 
Because I'm going to tell you something. Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. He's as near as the mention of his name. This isn't saying anything like this. What this is saying is, is there's sometimes Jesus says things to baffle us. To see if inside of us there's going to be an endurance and a perseverance that will trust and seek that thing out before it comes to fruition. It's not concealed from us so that we might not find it. It's concealed from us so that we might develop the character and the perseverance in seeking out the promise that when we get the promise, we won't forget about God and go do something else. Sometimes the worst thing that can happen for somebody asking for prayer is for God to answer it immediately because he knows he's, if he blesses you, he's going to lose you. And so God has to create a process sometimes so that character is built so that before we step into the promise, we would know how to walk the promise out. Amen? <laughs> yeah. So this is what God is doing. And it's not that this is a hard story. He makes it about a farmer sowing seed, right? This is accessible. But sometimes, how many of you know, the plain English way is sometimes the play that's considered so simple that nobody wants to be a part of it or jumps into it. Surely it's got to be more complex than that. And so as Jesus is teaching in these parables and teaching himself as a sower sowing seed, some are dismissing it simply because it seems too easy. That I would have to become dirt and trust that Jesus' seed was going to make beautiful the things in my life. And that as I receive the seed, I can have no control over making it come to pass other than allowing the seed to be in a humble heart and keep trusting and nourishing it until it started to sprout and produce a yield. But I got to thinking about it. Isn't this what happened to Adam? What was Adam made out of? See, God planted a garden in Eden. But when he planted that garden in Eden, it didn't go too well, did it? See, before God plants a garden in Eden, God understands he's got to start planting a garden in Adam's heart. So he'll take the dust and shape it and mold it and then breathe in it and speak the word into it so that that dirt would be humble enough to receive the words of God and not have its own opinion. See, when God created great angels like Lucifer, man, I'm getting on a rabbit trail. Just go with me, okay? When God created great angels like Lucifer and then told them to do stuff, they rebelled. But when God created dirt that would be humble enough to receive the word, suddenly the seed had a place where it could actually grow. That God is looking for not a great angel, because even Satan appears as a great image of light, but God's looking for some people to humble themselves and just say, here I am, dirt. And the only thing that's going to beautify my life and make this thing work is, God, if I get a word from you and you speak your word into me and I hear the word of God from the Bible and I begin to apply its principles and I'm trusting God that even though I don't see anything now, I'm going to keep trusting that a harvest is going to begin to start up in my life. 
Some of us need to quit allowing our mess to tell God that he's not there. Some of us have allowed our mess that we're going through to tell us God isn't there. And what a lie. It's the greatest deception. Because how in the world does Jesus reveal himself? If we've seen Jesus, we've seen God. If we've seen Jesus reveal himself, how does Jesus want to reveal himself and reveal his nature to us? He reveals himself as a king that dies naked, humbled on a cross for his subjects. But somehow we think that because we're going through something, God's not there. When God is the God that enters into the human mess and is even killed for it. It's like when we say, Jesus, man, did you see what they did to me? Do you see this? Do you see that? And Jesus shows up, shows you a wound and says, yeah, tell me about it. Look what they did to me too. It's that Jesus doesn't want to answer the question the way we want him to answer it, right? Because we want to go into some theological treaties. We want to say, oh, well, you see in the garden, Adam took of the tree and then evil entered into the world. Jesus never deals with evil that way. Never. All that Jesus says is, I'm in this thing with you. I say, but Jesus, give me the answer. Why? Say, nope, you're not getting that. All you're getting is, I'll never leave you or forsake you, and I'm in this thing with you. See, Jesus is more concerned about relationship than you getting head knowledge of why such and such happened. See, that's what Jesus is about. He's about relationship. So he'd rather show you his wound and say, here I am, I've paid the price, I can redeem all suffering, look at what happened to me and I made it good. I turned the cross into a death implement and turned it into a piece of jewelry that you could wear around your neck. Tell me God can't turn something evil and make it into something good. But that's what Jesus is answering. That's the question Jesus wants to answer. Verse 12, so that they may indeed see and not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. See, that their hearts had grown so hard that even the simplest of truths couldn't be received because they were either resting so much in their own righteousness or resting in their own images and views of how God ought to be that they couldn't even receive God when he really showed up and revealed himself as he wanted to be and started speaking to them the way he wanted to speak. I get this in verse 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So here's the key. If we understand this parable, it unlocks the door to every other parable. So after I teach you this parable, you'll never have to learn another parable again. No, I'm just playing. Don't, don't do that. You still have to come back to church and hear about other parables. But, but get this. This parable sums up the nature and the reality of the kingdom in totality. And you'll see what I mean here. Uh, verse 14. The sower sows the word. So this is the most basic of messages here. Is that when Jesus reveals himself, he reveals himself as a farmer a divine sower, a person with seed. He, he humbles himself that he might be uh, accessible. And so we hear that and we think, Jesus, you're a sower? And your seed is the kingdom of God, which meant his words? So, so, so you and your words? No, don't you need a sword? Don't you need a, a, a campaign to get a big 
bunch of finances and, and how are we going to overthrow the Rome? And Jesus says, no, all I need is my word. That's why in Revelation, when we're, where do we see the sword when Jesus is coming back? It's in his mouth. Because Jesus communicates and his seed is his spoken word. It's the mystery of the kingdom because the popular opinion was that the Messiah was going to come back with great pomp and circumstance and, and he was going to come in and, and do this big showy thing and instead we have a traveling, itinerant, homeless preacher in his 30s who was an ex-construction worker. We wouldn't even hire him as our youth pastor. Sounds like to me seed and dusty soil. Very unimpressive. This is, could be why we miss it many times. Seed is sown, and while we sleep, it's autonomous, it's self acting. We have to trust that when we say what God wants us to say and love the way God wants us to love that somewhere down the road that seed is going to begin to manifest and turn into the harvest. It's like the ultimate statement that God is saying, you can do nothing separate from me. You can do nothing. Adam made from dust and only that seed that God speaks into him brings him to life. And so then Jesus becomes a seed in a sense and becomes flesh and then he is planted in the ground and dies but yet comes up for a harvest as the first fruits of many brothers and sisters that will be resurrected and be just like him see sometimes it's hard to wait on the fulfillment of the word of God I can remember I had a friend that God spoke to me and said that he was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit so I did just like Anybody does when they get a word. I, I thought, oh, I'm going to make this come to pass right now. <laughs> so I come and talk to him about it. Say, hey, read this section of the Bible and this section of the Bible. And tell me what you think. And, 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 and just nothing ever manifested of it. It was just brought about confusion every time I talked about it. And, and it, was just, it was just weird. And I thought, man, God, I know you spoke to my heart. I know your voice. What in the world's going on with this? I, I just don't get it. And so I had moved off. And then some three years later, I get a phone call from somebody else that said, let me tell you what, what happened. There's a young man in church, and it's the same guy, this young man in church, and he was helping turn the lights off and lock everything up. And in the foyer, another guy came up to him and said, I feel like you're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so in the dark, in the foyer of the church, after revival's over and the service is completely over, he gets filled with the Spirit. I hear about it three years later from somebody else that's just randomly calling me. See, we've got to trust the seed that God has planted. And we've got to trust that His seed is the only thing that can be life. Uh, verse 15, and, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. 
See, this would represent the first heart would be a represented by the wayside or a path. And this one is too hardened for the word to make any impression. It represents hearts that have been made insensible by the routine of meaningless rites and lifeless formalities. Those who had deadened their sensibilities by perversity and indifference. Those whose hearts were hardened by the constant march and countermarch of evil thoughts. See, the problem with the seed on the path is the path allowed too many people to take ownership and to walk up and down its field. See, when we let the wrong kind of people traipse around our field, they won't respect the area and boundaries that you've drawn where the seed needs to be sown. They'll just step through the middle of it and make it as hard and as packed down as they can. See, some of us have let the wrong people try to walk on our field. And it's done nothing but cause a path that when the Word of God tries to seep into, it's nothing but hard soil. See, some of us need to kick some people out and retill some paths that some other people have walked on and hurt us and tried to do things and manipulate us and control us. We've got to kick them off of our field and freshly till that soil with repentance and humility so that when the seed comes, we won't miss it. Because if it's just a hard heart, Satan grabs that one. Easy pickings, dinner. Verse 16, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then while tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. See, the shallow rock-covered soil represents those who are deficient in tenacity of purpose. Those who receive the word, but the impulsive, shallow nature never really lets it take root. And as sunlight strengthens the healthy plant, when the sun and grace of God begins to shine on that plant, it withers and doesn't even have strength to make it any further. See, the same sun that gives life is the same sun that hardens the clay. The only difference is the nature of the soil. I'll wait on you. You're worth the wait. True love waits. True love waits. Verse 18, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. These would be the day-to-day -day concerns, and, and these people aren't against Jesus. They're actually for Jesus. They would say, yeah, I'm for church and I'm for Jesus. But the priority list in their life, Jesus is, is way down here somewhere uh, instead of being where he's supposed to be. These would just be people that prioritize that Jesus isn't the number one thing in their life. Uh, it would be uh, something to the effect of letting anything other than uh, the things of God come in and take precedence as the number one. 
place. And this is where I feel like we've got to be careful as parents. We've got to be very careful with parents, with kids in our home, that we make sure that they know and establish that church is important, that God's got to be first. We've got to establish those things before we get our kids so busy that the subliminal message we send to them is, is church and Jesus is just kind of this side thing to help you out. But what's really important is excelling in these side hobbies that we have. I didn't think I'd get many shouts on that one, but that's okay. I knew I wouldn't get much on that. That's okay. We need to hear it. We need to hear it. I'm amazed at the, at the parents that will put pads on their kids and have them run into each other at full speed but can't get their teenagers to church. I'm just like, what? I'm amazed at the precedence that gets put on have you done your homework? But never have we done our family altar time, prayer time. And then they go to college and leave God and we're like shocked. <gasps> How in the world did that happen? You subliminally sent them the message that academics is the most important thing in their life. Don't shout me down, okay? <laughs> Don't shout me down. Hey, I had to get this first, so. Now watch what happens in verse 20. But those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word accept it and bear fruit and now look he echoes the same supernatural harvest 30 fold 60 fold and 100 fold look to your neighbor and say uncommon harvest come on look at him like you mean it grab him by the shoulder and say uncommon harvest that this thing is more than just a guy up here with a microphone rattling on as like you're my therapy session or something. That God is up to something. And I will submit to you that I will humble myself to hear what God wants to say and I will purvey it the way I get it exactly to you. So that puts you in a position, if you'll just be soil, if you'll just be humble, if you'll just be dirt and just say, okay God, I receive what you're saying and I apply it to my life, then we're going to be walking in 30 fold and 60 fold and a hundred fold blessings in this church in your life in your family in your marriage if you'll keep being dirt and just keep showing up keep being dirt it's not hard keep showing up and say okay Jesus I surrender that's it that's it Keep showing up. I surrender. Keep showing up. I surrender. Amen. But what if I have a bad day and I fall off the wagon? Keep showing up. Amen. Say, I surrender. Amen. What happens when Monday comes? Keep showing up. Amen. Say, God, I surrender. You'll let that seed take root. 
you'll hang in there. God's going to do a harvest in your life. Harvest. Harvest. Just looking for the humble. Looking for the dirt. And that we would trust only His seed to be the thing that decorates our life. You know what I've noticed about my flower bed? No matter how much I weed it, I don't even plant weeds, but somehow a giant weed keeps me... <laughs> Have y'all noticed this? What is up with that? It tells me something. That weeds are very resilient. And we better get them out of there because they're going to seal up all the nutrients that God's seed wants to, that needs to flourish and to grow in our life. Is that we better be plucking these weeds out of our life because they can show up and you don't even know how they got there. You have to actually plant a tomato seed to make it come up. A weed just pops up and you're like, what in the world? Weeds will destroy. You look down here on Higdon Ferry, those new sidewalks they put up, weeds have come up through the cracks and buckled every single one of those deals. That's the power of a seed. You accept one foreign seed and you plant it in your life, it'll bust through the concrete and every foundation that you planted. Aren't you glad the Holy Ghost has some roundup? Come on now. The Holy Ghost has got some roundup. And we can put them things down. I don't even know how to end this. I'm just going now. So Let's stand to our feet.